This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Would Canada be ready to run a pandemic election which could come as early as this month? I check in with Elections Canada and... I am woman, hear me roll, in numbers too big to ignore. A biopic chronicles the life of the icon behind this anthem. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Japan has the world's oldest population, yet it avoided a COVID-19 crisis in long-term care like we had here and in other Western countries. Visitors are only allowed in the entrance lobby where a laptop is supplied for them to talk to the residents, in addition to strict hygiene standards. Experts also point out it's a culture where higher priority is given to elderly care within society. In Japan, 14% of the deaths have been in elder care facilities compared to 40% in the U.S. and 80% here in Canada. Here's another reason to maintain a healthy weight. A British study finds being overweight may be linked to an increased risk for dementia. A study published in the Journal of Epidemiology found being overweight increased the risk by 27% and being obese raised it by 31%. Fat around the middle is especially dangerous and a waist size larger than 34.6 inches increased risk for women by nearly 40%. The breaking news, actor Robin Williams is dead at the age of 63. My husband had unknowingly been bottling a deadly disease. Lewy body dementia is devastating illness. That's from Robin's Wish, a new documentary out this week looks at the final years of Robin Williams' life. The Oscar winner died by suicide in 2014 at the age of 63. An autopsy later revealed that Williams suffered from Lewy body dementia, a brain disorder that can affect thinking and movement. His widow, Susan Schneider Williams, describes his final days in the documentary. Williams was given the wrong diagnosis of Parkinson's three months before his death. The estate of Leonard Cohen says legal action is possible against the Republican Party over the use of hallelujah at last week's national convention. A spokesperson says the estate expressly rejected a request to use the song, which ended up playing twice at the event. A legal representative said that had the RNC requested Cohen's You Want It Darker, they may have given their approval. The world's oldest married couple, with a combined age of 215, has set a new world record. 79 years ago, 110-year-old Julio Mora 
An 104-year-old Waldramina Quinteros of Spain secretly married against their family's wishes. They have a large extended family, five children, 11 grandchildren, 21 great-grandchildren, and nine great-great-grandchildren. In a statement to Guinness World Records, the couple say their secret formulas love maturity and mutual respect. I'm Ruby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. There will be a confidence vote when Parliament resumes later this month, and that means the minority government may fall. Would we be ready for a pandemic election? In addition to an exponential increase in mailed-in ballots, we'd need bigger polling places for social distancing, more workers, even single-use pencils. I reached Natasha Goche of Elections Canada. About 20% of registered voters indicate that they would, their preference would be to vote by mail. Uh, about 20% of registered voters represents about 4 to 5 million voters. So that would be a significant increase. What would have to be done to accommodate 4 to 5 million mailed-in ballots? So, of course, we're looking at our internal processes, you know, whether it's our staffing or just our processes for sending out the ballots, receiving the ballots. Uh, everything is marked and counted by hand, including mail-in ballots are still counted by hand. So making sure that, you know, we are we have planned for resources to accommodate an increase. Another thing that we're doing is we will be going to Parliament and requesting changes to the Canada Elections Act. And those changes would allow us to continue to receive mail-in ballots up to 24 hours after the after voting day. So right now, uh, under the law, we have to receive the ballots by a certain deadline on polling day. And if we get them, if they come in the day after, they're not counted. They don't count. So this request to Parliament would give us the flexibility to keep receiving those ballots for up to a day after polling day. That being said, we would expect if if the number were that much uh, larger than it has been in the past, that there might be delays, and we, we have been uh, quite transparent with Canadians, there might be delays in getting final results. We saw just with one leadership race that the delay was six hours. They use certain types of uh, machinery that we don't necessarily use at Elections Canada. Do you use machinery at all? For instance, at the last leadership race, it was a machine that tore open the envelopes. Is any part of the process automated? So we use some machines. We use machines to as- assemble the ballots that are sent, the what we call the mail-in ballot kits that are sent out to people. We use machines to assemble those ballot kits, and we use machines to open the envelope when we get the kits back. Uh, however, we have not... Uh, those machines were uh, implemented for the first time during the 2015 election. We processed about 50,000 mail-in ballots, as you mentioned, and we did not have any delays, any, any delays or issues with uh, machinery uh, uh, malfunctioning in any way. Wouldn't you need more of those machines, and have you already ordered them? So that's one of the things that uh, Elections Canada is looking at to make sure that we have the resources that would allow us to cope with an increase, whether it's uh, uh, machinery or just people, human resources. In terms of uh, counting the ballots by hand, how many more people would you need for that? 
So that's one of the things that they're they're finalizing those numbers and and budget as well. That will all come out sort of in in. Uh, but we go through the fall. I would think it would be a factor many times more, hundreds more, thousands more. Am I wrong? They're very carefully looking at all of those numbers. During a federal election, we turn into Canada's largest employer for those for those weeks. We hire uh, between two and three hundred thousand Canadians to work during the election. If physical distancing regulations and rules are still in place, that would also apply to the workplace, to the polling locations, to the places where the ballots are counted. Of course. That's another thing that needs to be uh, taken into account. Well, a lot of those people who you hire to staff the polling places are older Canadians, and a lot of them uh, might not be happy about doing that work in the midst of the pandemic. Have you thought of that? Yes, that's certainly one of the things that we've been looking at. One of the other things we're asking Parliament for is actually, uh, as as you and your listeners know, Election Day has traditionally been on uh, a Monday. What we would be asking for is to hold uh, the election over a two-day period on a weekend, Saturday and Sunday. That would allow for more time. The other thing that allows for is our ability to to have polling locations in places that we that normally wouldn't be available to us on a weekday. So schools, for example, uh, we would have access to bigger schools, more schools, uh, and those schools would be empty. The, the students and staff would not be in those schools. Uh, and so that would allow us to implement uh, easier physical distancing measures, have more space between the polling locations. And so that's one of the other things that we're asking Parliament to consider. Do you have to do anything different to make sure there's no fraud or anything like that? We don't believe that there's uh, any, there, there will be any impact on security. Voting by mail is very safe and secure. Does Canada Post have to be beefed up in order to be able to deliver all those ballots? Well, that's a question for, for Canada Post. But surely you would have to be satisfied that they're up to it. Yes. And are you satisfied that they'll be able to handle it should it arise? That's a yes or no question. (laughs) I would have to get more information about where we stand with Canada Post. Are you going to have all this information ready when Parliament resumes and there's a confidence vote? That's well, in September. That's that's uh, that's in three weeks. What we always say is that we uh, are ready to deliver the last election without all of the changes and, and improvements and updates that we have uh, planned. Natasha Gauthier, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And how much extra would a pandemic election cost? Elections Canada still does not have the final tally from the 2015 vote which should be somewhere around $500 million. Zoomers will remember this song, which became a feminist anthem. I am strong. The woman behind it, Helen Reddy, became an icon of the movement. She sold 25 million albums and was the first Australian to win a Grammy in 1973. Her story parallels the trajectory of the push for women's liberation. This month, 
a movie about her life is being released digitally and on demand. If you want to make it as a singer, America is where you need to be. I'm being paid less than the band. So they're men, they've got families to feed. Well, I've got a family to feed. Miss Reddy, you sing, you sing very nicely, but male groups all the rage right now. You've heard of the Beatles, right? Did it ever occur to you men to, to ask women what they want to listen to? I am woman, hear me roar, in numbers too big to ignore. It's kind of angry. It's man-hating. Jeff, you okay with this? What are you doing? You want to lose your recording contract? This is more than just a song to me. I reached director Anju Moon in Australia. I first met Helen at an award show in Los Angeles. And when I realized it was her, I made my husband swap seats with me so that I could sit next to her. Because when I think of Helen Reddy, it takes me back to the time when I was a young girl growing up in the 70s in Australia. And I just remember so clearly the way that her music, when it used to come on the radio, how it used to affect my mother and her friends, how they used to wind down the windows of their car, let their hair loose in the breeze and just sing really loudly. And I have a very visceral memory of how that used to change the women in my life, the older women in my life. And as I got to know Helen better at this dinner, I realized that her story was just beyond this one song, but the scope and depth and breadth of her career and the impact that it's had, not just on the audience, but on the way she broke ground for women in music and the way she broke ground for people who wanted to go to America and, and, uh, and succeed. It was an incredible immigrant story in some ways for somebody who's going to America. So I just really thought, well, I was actually really surprised that nobody had actually made a movie about this before. It really is sort of a parallel of the whole feminist movement, and she came across a lot of obstacles because of sexism in the industry. Definitely, and that's what I, I also found really um, fascinating, and I think that was a, a really strong part of the story that I wanted to tell, is that her career and this particular song, I Am Woman, you know, it came out of a, a very definite moment in history, and that's during the 70s, during the second wave of feminism, during the women's liberation movement, and the background of this story is set against the rise and, and ultimately the failure of the Equal Rights Amendment in America. Interesting, though. So she persevered, and uh, she was a feminist, but on the other hand, it was her husband who cleared the path for success. Uh, he was uh, a guy, uh, an agent, uh, and he kind of ran her career. Yeah, they were a pretty interesting team together and part of being a feminist um, and for both her and, you know, and Jeff, you know, when I spoke to him, he, he considered that in the 70s that he was a feminist too because they had a pretty, they saw each other as equals in their marriage um, and in their partnership. I mean, there's a particular scene in the film where they really talk about, you know, it's not my career, it's our career. Mm -hmm. But he also managed a lot of very other high-profile people like Tiny Tim and Sylvester Stallone. Oh, wow, yes. And um, he had, you know, Deep Purple, as you can see in the film. They make a great cameo in the film. He, he did manage a lot of 
successful people and he was very determined and I think that was the combination of of their partnership that really made it a success the fact that he was able to really push this song into the marketplace do you think that this is uh, the right moment for this film to find an audience absolutely um it's interesting because when we first started working on the film um, and we were developing it, it was a very different time. Um, you know, a, a lot of us thought that perhaps we were going to have the first female president in America and um, and that in some ways when I was developing the screenplay, I thought maybe that means that people will look back nostalgically on this era. But things really changed in the world and suddenly the women's marches started to happen and the Me Too, you know, and the the Me Too movement started to happen. And right now we're sort of, the whole world is sort of confronted with the magnitude of a pandemic. And I think, you know, it just becomes more, it just started to become more apparent to us that, you know, it was really important to kind of get this kind of message out there, particularly because there's some really big choices, I think, that are going to have to be made in the world. Um, you know, especially with, the U.S. election coming up and many things associated with the current situation that we're in. And I just really hope our story will empower people, um, particularly women, to make really good choices. Andrew Moon, thank you so much for this. Oh, such a pleasure. Nice to speak with you. That was Andrew Moon, director of I Am Woman. Helen Reddy was diagnosed with dementia five years ago, and she lives in a care home in Los Angeles. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.